Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. On today's pod, a very special pod. It is a Cubs fantasy draft offense edition softball style lineups. The episode today is brought to you by betonline.ag. We've got a wonderful cachet of guests with us today. So let's just get right to them. First off, he's got the talent. He's got the speed. He the best in the National League. Say hey, Kyle Pod is on the pod today. What's up, dude? Hey, hey. How yeah, are you, man? I, I didn't know. I, I we are we gonna play? No, are no. we playing baseball? We're 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 not attempting that just yet. We're just gonna be drafting. Just gonna okay, be good. Drafting today. Good, and good, good. next number two on the draft board, they had the Sean O'Meter back in the eighties and nineties. Today, we're gonna need the Baltz O'Meter. Tim Baltz, everybody. What's up, man? Hey, not much, man. Thanks for having me. And Sean O'Meter, one of my first favorite memories of Cubs. So, coincidentally, that uh, makes me feel pretty good, man. Yeah, right on. And you're sitting pretty at that two spot. Let's see what Kyle does at number one. Number three, very special guest. Honored to have him on today. He's the pride of the Purple Linden Stop, the illustrious Wilmette Golf Course, Myers Tavern, Hackney's very own, Joel Murray, everyone. Joel, thanks for joining us, man. And the Canal Shores Golf Course to the central stop. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not a big fantasy guy, but I'm excited to do anything baseball at this point. Uh, just anything whatsoever. This I, is all we got. I was drawing lines in the yard for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I was working on, working on uh, different signals, doing different signals with your kids like in the backyard. So this is how it's going to work, you guys, for people that haven't joined the pod before. We are going to be selecting six spots on our roster today. Two infield, three infield, two outfield, and one catcher. The caveat is you can only have one maximum first baseman on your infield. The rest of your infield is completely up for grabs. Outfield's the same, and the catcher. It's all offense all day from anyone in the Cubs organization. Kyle Moore, let's just start it. Let's just dive right in, man. You are number one on the clock. You've had a lot of time to think about it. This is your first Cubs fantasy organization. You're at the head of the helm. Where do you go? And we're playing sandlot ball here, right? We're getting a, a squad of six or seven, and they're going to go at it out in the backyard? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, how can we talk Cubs baseball without talking Mr. Cub, right? I mean, uh, 1,600 RBIs, uh, 512 home runs. I mean, that guy did that in 20 years. But I'm going to take a guy who did the same thing in 10, Sammy Sosa. <laughs> I was wondering – if that was going to happen. <laughs> and Sosa's yeah, off the baby. board, and that's cool. Let's bring the controversy right away. I mean, you got a guy who isn't necessarily team first. But let's have some fun with some stats real quick. In 2001, 146 runs scored, 34 doubles, 5 triples, 64 home runs, 160 RBIs in 160 games, slugged 737, hit 35 home runs in 75 games after All-Star break. And that season alone, we think Alfonso Soriano is known for the first inning home run. That season, he hit 16 first inning home runs. My God. Um, I mean, my goodness. Hit 20 home runs in 98 in the month of June and only 114 at-bats. I mean, what can we say that already can be said other than we never want to talk about this guy ever again? (laughs) (laughs) Sammy Sosa off the board. Joel, hop in. I went to the game after 9-11, the first game at Wrigley, when Sammy ran out after the announcements with the American flag. But before that, they did a whole thing with the kids saying that Pledge Allegiance, you were just six foot eight Chicago guys were crying 
but uh, th that energy that he brought bringing that flag out to the field, I'll, I'll forgive anything else he ever did. And we'll give him a beautiful Raptor for his lifetime achievement. The ugliest car anybody got for lifetime achievement. <laughs> Tim, you want to hop in? Yeah, plus it's Sandlot rules, so we're not testing. No, exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he's got cork bat, cork helmet, cork shoes. <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes. Whatever, who knows what he's injecting into that softball. And that's kind of the funny thing, and that's, I guess maybe that's the bittersweet sadness of Sosa, right, is now we look at him as this joke, and he's got the bleached skin, and the documentary's coming out in a couple of weeks. But, man, there were so many – things that Sosa did that were just straight up Wrigley for me. And you nailed it, Joel. One was running in the outfield with the, with the hand up, everyone giving him the salami salute, him in the dugout after a home run doing the kiss, the hop after the home run, and me going as a kid in the 90s. There was nothing better than going to Wrigley, sitting down with the hot dog, and Sosa pops one in the first inning. And you go, this is going to be a good day. And by the seventh inning, the bullpen's open. And they've blown it, and it's shit. And you walk out, what happened? I mean, that is being a Cubs fan to me in the essence, and Sammy really embodies that. Go ahead, Kyle. Joe, we, me and Joey were on the roof out there, uh, and uh, when oh, he kind of came short in that on that run, man, that was – it was insane. The ball was coming right towards us. <laughs> we were like, it's happening. Damn. We were also uh, across the street in 03 when he hit that ball uh, to tie the game in game one of the Marlins yeah. series, which no one really remembers that sent it to extra innings, which was actually one of his, his true like heroic moments. Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get into it, but let's just do a quick round table. Sammy Sosa hall of famer. Yes or no. Yeah. yeah. I would say yes. Uh, when they figure out, you know, when we're going to, it's going to be okay to say, Oh, well, they were just boys being boys. <laughs> they were just injecting each other in the ass which was the style at the time uh, Tim, yeah Tim uh hall of famer yes or no I don't know I I don't know I I like I I hear you Joel once they figure out how to deal with that era and the era is probably you know it might be 15 years for all we know however they define it um right right now I'm a no on it just because there's no definition so if you're going by all time like the guys that cheated her out, and that's what means a lot. Uh, that's what means a lot to Cooperstown. Now th that might change, you know. Um, my pick, my pick didn't juice, but he probably got loaded on greenies and beer. So, mm -hmm. you know, the so yeah, the, whatever, whatever, whatever it was at the time to get you up after going out all night long, eating the steak at eleven thirty at night, and then getting up and playing the one twenty game. You know now, what I mean, like. Greenies are a lot different than a shot in the ass of EPO or whatever the hell they were pumping. So uh, I don't know. Right now I, I lean no, but I, but I, I, I totally understand that it's probably going to lean yes at some point. And, and Sosa was like, had some of the best seasons of our lifetime. And his, some of his best seasons are overshadowed by other guys that aren't in the hall. McGuire, obviously in 98, um, Bonds a couple times. You know, Sosa has some of the all-time craziest stat lines in the history of the game. Yeah, three seasons of 60-plus home runs. You really can't argue that about a dude that did it, like, day in and day out over and over again. I'll be honest, I'm kind of leaning yes on the Hall of Fame, but I'm with you, Tim, on the whole sense of, like, when we were growing up, the whole thing was, like, the mantra was the numbers. We always looked at, you know, the home run king was so sacred and hollow, all these different numbers, the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak, on and on, Cal Ripken breaking the all-time consecutive games record. It was all about the numbers with baseball. So as soon as that didn't mean – 
anything anymore, all of a sudden you're kind of asking yourself, you know, what was it all for? And does he even really deserve it? Even though, man, I tell you, just every time that he would hit a ball into the stands, he would just smoke a ball into center field to drive in a run. You know what I mean? And that's just, he was just an absolute machine and monster. Um, Sammy Sosa off the board. Already under investigation on Kyle's team. Uh, very quick, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, that just comes with the territory. Uh, we're going to keep it going. Tim, you, number two on the list, Sosa's off the board. Maybe a weight off your shoulders a little bit. You don't have to worry about that. You can now take someone, <laughs> take someone jacked on speed. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle did us all a favor getting that controversy out of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would have gone with this guy no matter what. There's a lot of people that I considered taking it number one for uh, childhood nostalgia reasons whose stat lines are pretty crazy. And uh, I know who I'm taking with my last pick if he's still on the board, even though his numbers don't necessarily line up. But number one, I got to go the 1930 season of Hack Wilson. Oh, yes. Got to. I mean, honestly, you look at that. I thought I'd look up some top 10 lists and I'd be done with research for this in like 10 minutes. Two hours later, I'm texting people about like the entire 1930 team could be all your pick. You could make your entire pick. (laughs) But his stat line, he bats 356, 56 home runs, 146 runs, 191 RBIs, which is still the record. No one's touching that. 208 hits. Also, I'm a huge uh, uh, walk to strikeout ratio guy, like huge. I, I de-rank, I've like lowered people in certain rankings. 105 walks to 84 strikeouts. When you drive in 90 runs, you have 56. That's crazy. That is absolutely insane. And his OPS that year is off the chart. So he was my number one guy. Killer name. Uh, funny stat that the next season, uh, he only hit 13 home runs. Yeah, I mean, obviously injury plague, but it was kind of it, it kind of comes and goes for these older guys. I kind of notice, uh, you know, you have it one year, the next year you don't. Um, I mean, that the, the 191 RBIs, it's just never. I just can't conceivably see a situation, even when we're now talking about baseball being played with less games. How does anyone ever get to 191 RBIs? I just don't. I don't even, I don't even understand how that's possible. I know that's absurd. Obviously, more than one per game, but. Uh... But you have to be so dialed in, too. 35 doubles, 423 total bases. That's, that's absurd. And he's living in the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great Depression style. That guy must have been so grateful. He yeah. had a job. <laughs> and he was probably making like 85 bucks a year. Yeah. It's insane back in the 30s. Just nothing. Yeah. Well, hopefully Chicago bought a stake or two during that time because, uh, yeah, truly one of the greats. And you bring up his name and honestly, like, maybe not with like in the Babe Ruth tat- category, but everybody sort of knows who he is. One of the great Cubs of all time. 1930 Hack Wilson off the board. Let's keep it trucking. Joel, number three, you are up next, my friend. Who is your first pick on your fantasy team? Well, he's going way back to the 30s. I'm, I'm not sure you saw him play. Uh <laughs> I'm just, how far can you go back on this thing? Can, can you go all the way back to Cap Anson in the 1881? You uh, sure can. You know, he, he, uh, he was quite a player. His stats are insane. He was born on my birthday, April 17th. So, you know, he's a strong Aries. He had a, a 399 batting average. Uh, that's, that's not so bad. But uh, he's all over the Cubs records, if you can, if you can take him. But he, he played for the Cubs when they were the White Stockings not to be mistaken with the White Sox. 
I also found out uh, we were the Chicago Orphans at one time. Um, I don't know what era. That's just a, a Wikipedia name, so I don't even understand if that's true or not. But, yeah, Cap Anson, 1886, 10 home runs, 147 RBIs. Uh, he put the bat on the ball. That's pretty incredible. He got just insane amount of hits, uh, 137 hits. Just every year it was 130-something. Uh, he played the third base. He was known for that. And uh, they didn't get a lot of home runs back then because there wasn't an outfield wall. So, you know, when, when you say you had all these hits, it was because the ball kept rolling like we were playing Sandlot, you know. But, yeah, you have, to, you have to go down and catch it. I remember, like – the worst kids on the team, if it would skip past them in Little League, they would just chuck the mitt and just start going the full sprint. Don't need the mitt anymore. You just got to go find the ball. Cap Anson, 84.8 career war. That is the highest in Cubs organization history. So not only are you going with the dude who was, yeah, a benchmark for the beginning part of the organization, but you're picking one of the best dudes out there, period. Cap Anson off the board, and infielder for those of you uh, keeping track at home. And also, I think a teammate, uh, wasn't he drafted by Monty Burns also as well in the Simpsons episode? <laughs> I think it was Mordecai Brown and Cap Anson, but I think were his top two draft picks. <laughs> so, yeah, so you got that going for you. Uh, so, all right, I am up. Uh, let's keep it going. Hack Wilson off the board. Sammy Sosa, this is kind of tough, guys. Um, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I got to go with my heart here. He was my favorite player growing up. And you know what? His numbers are pretty damn good. So I'm not going to feel bad about this at all. 1987, the Hawk, Andre Dawson, former MVP, 24 doubles, 49 home runs, 137 RBIs for a terrible Cubs team at that time. 568 slugging. It was the only season he ever struck out more than 100 times in a season, which might turn Tim off just a little bit. But here's my favorite part is he was the classic Cub who played his ass off at home. 246 on the road batting average that season. 332 at home with 27 of his home runs all coming at the friendly confines. That is my kind of Cubs player. I'm starting it there with the Hawk. And I'll never forget going to a game and he got kicked out and he threw all the bats on the field. And you know what I'm talking about? Tim, hop in, man. Do you remember that? I was watching that in my living room and my dad's shaking his head and laughing. And I'm like, Hey, like, this is what our coaches tell us not to do. And <laughs> my, literally like, like Homer Simpson, my dad's like, he's going back for more. Look, he's going to get, <laughs> I, I, Oh yeah. It was, it was a multi-layered step. Uh, go ahead, Joel. And I remember when they brought him down from Montreal, you know, you, you were kind of worried because the Cubs never really went out of their way to trade for somebody. And they went to go get Dawson, and he came, and he just produced right away. His first season when he came to Wrigley, he just ate it up. He, he killed that park. He, and uh, you, you couldn't help but love the guy. He, he came to play, unlike much of the rest of his team. Yeah, he was incredible also in the sense of, what, he played maybe only three or four seasons with the Cubs, which is a small portion of his career. And yet we all think of him as a Cub. I don't really think a lot of people consider him necessarily an ex expo, even though that's maybe where he got his – Hall of Fame pedigree from and also I just remember those killer 1980s posters that would be like Andre Dawson and like Michael Jordan and they'd be like sitting in front of like a Ferrari or something which was like <laughs> the deal and like both their hairs were like Andre's hair would be permed and it was just like the sickest poster you could ever possibly own and uh what can I say the hawk big arm creaky knees um you know what I mean he walked like us like go ahead Tim rookie of the year MVP should have won MVP again. In 83, he led the league in hits, which is crazy for a slugger. 
and he did spend six years with the Cubs. So it was like a little bit more. Yeah. Good. And 89, I feel like anyone at 89 that the, that the Cubs had, even if they just spent one year with them, you still kind of think of them as a Cub, you know, even if they were kind of a pinch hitter or, or you know, spot player or platoon guy. Um, so I, I still obviously like spent a lot more time at the Expos and established himself there, but, uh, yeah, I, I still think of him as a Cub. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, AstroTurf, uh, for ruining uh, the Hawks' knees. I uh, went from a base-stealing threat to uh, an old man kind of overnight. But, yeah, can't deny that 49 season. I'm still up. I'm going to keep it rolling right off the bat. And, guys, I've been looking at the board here and having a real good laugh looking at our catcher selection. Uh, I know we got Wilson Contreras now on our team right now. But, look, I'm going way back in the time back machine. I'm going Gabby Hartnett, 1930, uh-huh. from that illustrious 1930 team. Had to do it, guys. There was no one else on the Cubs organization with 37 home runs, 102, uh, 122 RBIs, 339 batting average. I mean, truly, he had, like, one truly magical season. Um, and then it was sort of kind of it, but roundly known as one of the greatest catchers of that era. And to mention, like we said before, that 1930 team is stacked. So I'm taking my catcher now off the board with Gabby Hartnett. And it's coming back to Joel. You are now on the clock, man, with your second Hartnett doesn't sound like a guy you want to sit next to on a long bus ride. But that's just me. (laughs) Let Um, me tell you something about my kids. And this is from the heart. (laughs) It's a long way to Omaha. Anyway, (laughs) uh, I got to, you know, Kyle joked at it, but – I got to go with Mr. Cub at this point. Yeah, I was, so, no joke. I was thinking he was my pick for up until probably an hour ago. Like, I know I was so close to doing that. I wanted that so was, bad. As a shortstop, by the way, uh, he was an amazing player. He had uh, boarding house reach. He had range. Uh, in '58, he had 47 homers, 129 RBIs, and a 6.14 slaying percentage. Before anybody kept track of such a thing, but uh, what he didn't have he made up in, with attitude and uh I used to go and uh he would be at the Lowe's at the bar in Santa Monica and if you showed up and you were willing to buy Ernie drinks he would sit and talk baseball with you as long as you kept buying and it was one of my favorite things when I first moved to Los Angeles you'd, you'd go to the Lowe's and drink with Ernie and kind of know god he shouldn't get in the car right now but hey see you Ernie that was good <laughs> yeah, let's play too <laughs> absolutely like and became such a steward of just everything that is Cubs yeah. uh, for on and on. And I mean, I never met the guy, but as a kid, I mean, just the dude's attitude was the quintessential baseball player, right? The sun is shining. The grass is green. Uh, I could stay out here all day. And let's see his best season, 1958, 129 RBIs, 47 home runs. That very next year drove in 143. I mean, the dude had a run unlike any other. And then I was talking to my dad trying to get a little intel about that era too as well. And he even said, you know, in the later stages of, of his career, when he was kind of platooning at first base, you know, it was still Ernie Banks, you know what I mean? When he was in the lineup, he was still able to be solid and contribute. And gosh, yeah, I kind of, I'm really lamenting I didn't take it right now, but it was a strategy to take the catcher. So you have Cap Anson and Ernie Banks right now, flagship players in your squad. I, that's a strong uh, side of the infield. Yeah, I, I think that's a sure start, a surefire start. Moving on back down to Tim. Tim, your first pick was Hack Wilson. What are you thinking now coming back? I think, you know, uh, there's a, uh, boy, there's a lot of depth at some of the other positions, but uh, I'm a little jealous of Ernie Banks going to Joel. So I'm going to go to kind of 
you know, the, the person that I was taught was Mr. Cub uh, number two growing up and fill out my outfield with Billy Williams, 1970 season. Yes. Uh, that was a big, those two players were the, were kind of, you know, especially if you started watching in the eighties, um, obviously you get to know those eighties teams, but, uh, before 89, uh, we, I feel like, you know, Cubs fans talked about 70, 60s, seventies players a lot. So I'll go with him. He had 42 homers, batted 322, 137 runs, hundred, which led the league, 129 RBIs, 205 hits, which led the league. Um, you know, 72 walks to 65 strikeouts. Not bad. <laughs> Dude, unbelievable. But also led the league in total bases. So I, that's, that's like a, that's a hall of fame, yeah. especially for that era too. That's a, that's a hall of fame stat line adjusted for era that, that stat line looks even better. But 1970, I, I yeah, I got to go with Billy Williams. I got to have like, he's on an all-time cub team. You can't make a top nine cub team without him in the outfield. So I'll, I'll take him. Hop in, Joel. And he, he was immensely cool, uh, which I respect from any player. Uh, I still have a button from Billy Williams Day. I think it was June 22nd, 1969. But uh, I, I still have that button. But, you know, he went to uh, Oakland, and he donned the white shoes in Oakland. Again, immensely cool. And uh, it was all was forgiven because he was so cool. And they brought him back to Chicago as a hitting instructor and, and as a coach. And uh, he's he's – much loved. Everybody loves Billy. And yeah, but at the same time, walk into a restaurant, Ernie Banks and Billy Williams at the same time, and it's a crowded restaurant, Ernie gets the first table, right? There's no question. Well, if you're buying. <laughs> That's the key. That's the key for Ernie. Tim, do you want to hop back in? Uh, no, I, I think, you know, I grew up in Joliet, which was kind of White Sox territory, and uh, my grandma, I think to piss my grandpa off, was like, I'm a Cubs fan. Um, so that was a big deal in the family. And I was kind of the only grandkid among 20 that was also a Cubs fan. And she really liked that. And so she, she gave me, uh, when she passed away, um, uh, bequeathed to me her diehard Cubs fan poster, which she had framed. And it was signed by the manager at the time, Dallas Green, Ernie Banks, and Billy Williams. And that for years, I mean, it still is a prized possession, but at the time, also, the rest of my cousins were like, we don't care. This is trash to us. And I thought, you guys are crazy. This is, you know. Yeah, so is dental work. What do they know? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, that totally beats my Damon Berryhill uh, signed, uh, signed pair of jeans. But anyways, we're moving back down. Kyle, now you're going to have two picks. We're going to go one at a time. Who's the first pick you're going to take off the board? Sammy Sosa was your first pick. Yeah. Are you going uh, bad boys or are you going to stick with some heart? I, I got to get some, I'm going, I'm sticking with some bats. I got Sammy Sosa at the top of my order and coming in right after him is a guy that's on probably the top three uh, of almost every category on the offense. Uh, hits, runs, doubles, triples, home run, not home runs, but uh, he gets up there. I'm talking Ryan Sandberg, baby. Okay. Rhino. I mean, him and Sosa are my top two bats. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. Rhino, so what is it? I, I have a question. I grew up loving Rhino. MVP uh, has a consecutive um, errorless streak, one gold glove after glow glove. What was it about, or maybe I'm misremembering, something in the 80s and 90s, 
everyone kind of giving Rhino sort of a hard time, you know, or he, he's not deserving of the MVP. And I remember like, oh, the airless game, he never dives for a baseball, all this other kinds of stuff. And then he retired. And when he came back, I remember it wasn't exactly like as heralded as if one of the greats retired and came back. Am I misremembering that? Like, what, what, what are you guys' memories of, of Rhino? I mean, he's, he's an all-timer, right? Go ahead, Joel. He was a stud. I mean, he was the first guy to the ballpark and the last one to leave. He was, you know, the Michael Jordan of baseball, baseball as far as he tried to lead by example. And uh, he was, you know, clean cut. And, uh, you know, there's rumors about Rafael Palmero being run out of town because Rhino was the first one to the park and the, the last one to leave. And everybody knew where he was. So other things could go on. I won't delve into that any further. But uh, I, I think... Uh, at one point people were a little ticked off that Palmero had to leave uh, because of that. Tim, did you ever, when Rhino was coming through the minor leagues, did you ever have the dreams of like Rhino's going to be the manager to win the world series for the Cubs? Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah. I mean, also he showed, he showed a lot of fire as a, as a manager. Well, was he in Iowa, triple a, he made it up to Iowa AAA, and then uh, what was it? Dale Swaim. And when they did the Ricky Renteria thing, I think it was more like, well, if you're not going to, if you're oh, yeah. not going to do this, I'm going to move on. I, I, I mean, that was a little heartbreaking because I think between him and Girardi, it feels like management whiffed on getting, you know, great. I mean, before Joe Madden, you're, you're, there are a lot of things that, like, you try to talk yourself into as a Cubs fan. And Sandberg, I think, if we're going to whiff on a manager, you might as well go in that direction because, like Joel said, he was such an exemplary player. And, and you know, he did everything right. Um, and I think – his retirement and then coming back, it was just, it came at a weird time that left an odd taste in your mouth, you know, like, cause I think he it was right around the time Jordan was doing that. And I, I don't, I don't know, Joel, you could probably answer this better, but I don't, I don't know if it was tied to how highly Chicago thought of Sandberg that, that Sandberg thought like, Oh, I can do this. Or if he just retired, missed the game and thought I still have it and, and came back. I remember he wasn't quite the same player, but he was also older than Jordan when he retired the first time and tried to come back. Yeah, no, I didn't understand uh, the whole, why he had to leave, why, why he did what he did. Uh, I, you know, I think he had some marital problems and uh, he left for a little bit and came back and uh, you know, God bless Ben Zobrist, you know, uh, being able <laughs> yeah. to play through the pain. Well, and also it begs the question, so you're telling me a homegrown Cubs player struggles to stay where he wants to stay because the organization can't uh, definitely keep him in-house. I've never heard that before in Cubs history. Um, it's never been, I don't know, like a Greg Maddox. I don't know. There's no, there's no one else in there where, you know what I mean, we can't seem to keep these guys in-house like a Girardi. Uh, Kyle, you got one more pick. Coming back around already in round three, we're almost halfway through. Man, some so many great guys right now, and it's hard. But uh, if I'm if I'm making a squad, I want to get the my other uh, outfielder out of the way now. I got Sosa back there. A lot of the studs are are taken. There's a bit of a run, so I'm going to finish out my outfield next to Sosa. We're going to put a guy that hit one all the way to Milwaukee. They called him Kong. They called him the Sky King. I'm going with Dave Kingman. Awesome pick. Definitely uh, not quite a one-hit wonder, but his one season was absolutely out of control. 
97 runs scored in 1979, 48 home runs, 115 RBIs, 288, 343, 613. And I mean, Joel, this is right in the prime of your, of your teenage years, man. This is when you're probably going to the games by yourself now and, and having a good time, huh? It was during a time where when you heard the wind was blowing that way, you would just get on the L and go. Because, uh, <laughs> you could get a bleacher ticket for four bucks or something and, and just go in and, you know, probably get a ball for that matter. But uh, I played in a celebrity game in Seattle uh, at University of Washington on an AstroTurf infield. And uh, I got to replace Brooks Robinson at third base after a couple innings. And uh, the first guy up when I got to third base was Dave Kingman. And I'm at third base <laughs> on an AstroTurf infield with no cup on going, what the hell am I doing here? And, uh, <laughs> he hit a ball by me. Bring in Murray. Bring in Murray. See you, Brooks. Good game, Brooks. By my head in about an eighth of a second. And uh, thank God it didn't hit the ground in front of me. You got to just block it with your chest, right? And just <laughs> have it shatter. <laughs> can't imagine. Oh, man. Dave Kingman off the board, 1979. Huge season. Really funny is just like, we're, we're, we're so obsessed, uh, especially with the steroid era of these gonzo numbers that we keep looking over, over and over again. But if you look through the history of the game, there's been players in eras where like some of the numbers are just as crazy as they would be, you know, when the Brady Andersons of the world are hitting 50 home runs. Um, I mean, it's just now like, are the balls juiced? It's like, I, well, I'm not exactly quite sure about that. Like if you look at some other numbers back in the day, like they're pretty, they're pretty astounding. So we're going to be moving on to – oh, we're coming back to Tim. Tim, Billy Williams, Hack Wilson off the board. Your outfield is taken care of. Now it's time to do some fungo. Uh, what are you thinking? I mean, I didn't think this guy would be here at this point, and I don't have any infielders. There's some great choices buried deep in Cubs history, so I'm just going to stick with the Mr. Cubs stuff. I'm going the 1967 season from Ron Santo. Oh, yes. That guy – that also yeah. like that guy, such a, his voice is such a part of my childhood. Uh, thing that Hawk Harrelson was for Sox fans, Ron Santo was for Cubs fans. And obviously <laughs> I got no, no love lost for the Sox. Uh, but uh, Santo to me was like the, the absolute best Homer you could ever imagine. Like the, he, the way that he would kind of like get disappointed. <laughs> well, I don't want to blow out the levels, but it's like, ah, jeez. <laughs> I honestly he he was such a part of like when the Cubs were losing you were okay with it because you're like well Santos having a harder time with this than I am <laughs> yeah. oh man the Cubs are gonna lose but is Santo gonna be okay hop in Joel my favorite thing of Santo on the radio was when they would do something bad and he'd just go oh and there would be 30 seconds of dead silence and he wouldn't come back to the mic he wouldn't say anything and you see the guys running around the bases not a nothing, and uh, just I'm right there with you. Yeah, uh, Pat, so, he, Pat Hughes would literally have to be like, "Are you doing okay, Ronnie? Uh, what, what are you thinking? Right? What are you thinking right now?" And it'd just be, uh, "Oh, Kyle Farnsworth, why do you do it to Santo every single time? What are you thinking? Hop into." And one of the like, just one of the toughest guys, obviously, from start to finish, like the the way that that the courage that that guy showed at the end. But he's to me, he's a Sandlot player too. He had great stats. Again, like you adjust it for era and that season and a couple other seasons that he has right around them uh, are, are really like huge statistical seasons. Um, but he carried the, the Cubs offensively uh, during that stretch run. He's, yeah. yeah, hop in, Kyle. 
Does, Tim, do you have Ernie Banks and Ron Santo? No, I got Billy Williams and Ron Santo. Okay, Joel got close. Banks. Yeah, he got, he got Banks. The cool thing about Santo is this is a nice little play that you're doing here because you're, you're honoring – it's an homage to the old-timers, but Santo is a, the perfect fantasy player today. Like, he led the NL in walks multiple seasons, on-base percentage. I mean, the dude in today's game – surprisingly you know who would who would play in today's game ron santo could play today he honestly could and he he'd probably be a pretty solid above average if not all-star hall of fame player that he is yeah i totally agree and i, I you know i'm trying to build a lineup that uh, gets guys on base and then and then knocks them home so yeah santo at third base to get a guy whose whose percentages are that high um, who can get on base that easily? That's that's not easy at third base, especially. Yeah, you got an interesting cocktail party going on right now. You got kind of Santo with his heart on his sleeve. You got the coolness of Billy Williams, maybe wearing the white shoes, having the hors d'oeuvres, and you know Hack Wilson is just grumpy. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> Probably at this point, he's got some political thoughts. You know, it's really tough to say. But, you know, yeah, he voted Hoover. Yeah, yeah. Everyone in this room ain't shit. Yeah, is his motto, basically. <laughs> Coming on back to Joel. Joel Cap, Anson, and Ernie Banks off the board. Well, uh, I, uh, I did a deep dive one time into the number nines in Cub history uh, because I'm the ninth child of my family and uh, a big fan of Javi Baez right now. But uh, Hank Sauer wore the number nine, and uh, he was a hell of a ball player. Uh, he was an outfielder. He hit 37 taters one year. Uh, I don't have all his stats in front of me like you do, but uh, he was uh, he was a great player. And my my eldest son is named Hank, so I I, I like a lot of guys named Hank just in general. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take Hank Sauer off the board. Hop in, Tim. Great pick. That was his MVP year in '52. Yeah, led the league in homers. Led the league in RBIs with with 121. I mean that's a that's a forgotten era of the Cubs that produced a lot of like some of the best stat lines in Cubs history from like 40, you know, five to the mid fifties. There's some players that don't get talked about at all, really. Yeah. Uh, career, career 266 batting average, but had six seasons of 30 plus home runs, two with 40 plus home runs. And yeah, the 1950, 1952 teams, uh, what is it? We went to the pennant in 54. Because it was 45 and, 45, and then I believe it may have been 54, 55. Um, Hank Sauer off the board. Looking at him right now, good-looking dude, too. Nice jawline, decent eyebrows. Probably did pretty well for himself in the 50s for a little nuclear family. Not bad. Not terrible. Hey, Tim. you know, it doesn't hurt on the Sandlot to have some good-looking guys out there either. Oh, right? yeah, no, we got to get some fans. Got to get some butts in the seats. What are we going to do here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, so Hank Sauer off the board, coming back to me, I'm going to do one pick and then we're going to take a quick little break to do a sponsor. I've got to, where am I going to go? A lot of choices here. And I'll be honest with you, a guy that I was kind of taking a look at, and I'm going to take him because I didn't really understand how amazing he was. I'm taking Billy Matlock from 1976, four-time batting champ. In 76, hit 339 with 15 home runs, 36 doubles, 84 RBIs. Tim, you're going to love this. 588 at-bats, 27 strikeouts. Wow. The guy that we traded we traded away Fergie Jenkins to bring in Bill Matlock. He was awesome for a bunch of years. And then, of course, what did the Cubs do? We traded his ass uh, for, I believe, mm -hmm. it's Billy Mercer on the board. And I contacted my dad. 
And my dad was like, oh, Cubs fucked up again. And I was like, what? And he's like, this is, I guess, the classic Billy Matlock situation of a great player that could have been on the team for years and years. Didn't happen because of the, the lack of foresight by a Cubs organization. I'm going with Billy Matlock for my first infield spot. And I'm feeling good about it. Joel, what do you remember about Billy Matlock in those 76, 77 teams? Oh, he was just nothing but solid. Uh, you know, you were excited every time he came to the plate. But we didn't mention about Sano. Sano was a great third baseman, too. He, he could get the balls down the line and move to his left as well. Uh, but Madlock was another guy who he was like a Puma there on third. And uh, he, was, he was an absolute solid piece there and uh, hit the snot out of the ball. Uh, he, he was just fun to watch. And he filled out his pants well. He had big thighs like a, a young Robert Newhouse. Oh, strong. I'm, I'm, all about some, I'm all about powerful pistons. I got the creaky knees of Dawson right now. I kind of need a little bit more. I need a little more uh, girth on the trunk. Going Billy Madlock right now. But first, we're going to get to my pick, and then we're going to continue the Cubs fantasy draft. But first, we're going to do a quick word from our sponsor, and maybe Tim can grab a cocktail during this time. Who knows what will happen. But let's just talk about our sponsor today from betonline.ag. Look, we're all waiting this out at home, but you can still have fun betting with your partner, betonline.ag. No NBA yet, no NHL, no MLB yet, but don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. Look, guys, NASCAR is back. Hop in on it. Madden and NBA 2K simulations are going all day long. There's a $10,000 Madden bracket challenge. There's UFC tournaments and online casino and poker and blackjack tournaments. There's a lot to be had. And also check out this Sunday on betonline.ag. Ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joined to discuss the Michael Jordan doc, The Last Dance, is what they're calling after the dance or the final dance. There is still fun to be had at betonline.ag. So what are you waiting for? Use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's MYPOD100, M-Y-P-O-D-100. And we're going to give you a welcome bonus on your very first deposit with your online wagering solution, betonline.ag. Glad to see Craig Hodges getting back in the mix. Really good. I'm glad to see people still still betting, betting the unders on whatever they can, whatever they can find. I honestly thought it was going to come down to like squirrels fighting in the backyard over nuts for the gamble freaks. But yeah, go ahead, Joel. What happened with Ron Harper that he got no play in the last dance whatsoever? Yeah, so let's let's dip, we'll dip into this tangent real quick because honestly, I don't really – I mean, Steve Kerr was great, right? When Steve Kerr came into the game and he was wide open for a three, we all put our hands in the air and went, three! You know, he was a fun, almost like a gadget gimmick, gimmick situation. But they made it seem like he was a bigger part of that Bulls team than he actually was. Ron Harper was a 20-point scorer and came to that team and cut his minutes in half and became an integral role. Of not, I mean, he hit some open threes too as well, but he was a guy that played defense. I mean, he was an important yeah, part was- of that team. He was the guy that defended the guy Jordan didn't, you know, got to rest. Uh, you know, he would be up against their toughest guy and playing defense, you know, all game long so Michael could get rested for offense kind of thing. And uh, Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. He, he must have said something to somebody. He popped in in like the third episode, but he never really came back in terms of, uh, I mean, him and Luke Longley were the ones I think that were missing the most. Tim, what did you, what do you think about that real quick? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there are so many storylines that didn't get missed that as, as fans, you're like, well, that was the only thing that we talked about. Like we talked about the Bobby Hansen game as much as the shrug game. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hodges uh, kind of getting you know, blackballed from the NBA because he pissed off Jordan at the, at the uh, White House in 92. 
those were, those were big deals. To me, it's still all positive because you get to see all this stuff and younger generations get to, you know, get exposure to how great and dominant these teams are and get a proper sense of perspective. But it just goes to show that like you give us 10 more episodes on the same time period that aren't under Jordan's control. And you, you, you see there are even more storylines. So at the end of the day, like, I'm not upset because there there are more than 10 episodes worth of material out there. Yeah, the starting lineup introductions, the black socks, black shoes during the playoffs, uh, Rodman kicking the cameraman. It goes on. There's a bunch of stuff they missed. Kyle, hop in. Oh, I, I just got back. I, I, I think I missed it. Did Joey draft Ron Harper? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. He's, <laughs> he's in my outfield right now. Um <laughs> Harper and NASCAR is back. I, <laughs> okay. I need I need one guy to be picking dandelions on the softball team. There's always <laughs> one dude that has a borderline no interest in the sport at hand that he said that he was going to do. And that's my guy, Ron Harper, right there. Uh, but that's a great way. Let's get back into the draft real quick. We're coming back, guys, and we're almost done. Um, I'm on the board. We're coming back around. And this is going to kind of sound crazy because there's other dudes I actually really, really, really want to draft, but I'm going Derek Lee from 2005. Wow. 46 home runs, 50 doubles, three triples, 107 RBIs on a not-so-great Cubs team, 335 batting average, was hitting 378 at the All-Star break, hit 551 in the seventh inning or later of games, 330, 331 runners in scoring position. I mean – the dude was just squaring it up and knocking out of the ballpark. And the great part about that season for me personally was I was kind of on the fence with Derek Lee because I still had 2003 traumatic, uh, traumatic memories or triggering moments. And Derek Lee was just a part of that Bartman inning as anyone else was. He, he hit that double, that two run double down the line that really opened up the floodgates, which really should have gotten the hook on prior, which didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, Derek Lee, good ball player, good dude, great first baseman. Um, got a chance to kind of hang around when the Cubs got a little bit better during those Lou Pinella days, but never really quite hit in that, that sweet spot. Um, I'm going with Derek Lee, big, big, tall, big, tall drink of Lee. And my favorite part of my favorite Len Casper moment is I love doing impressions of Len Casper. And it's just basically just goes, Derek Lee did it again. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) my mind. (laughs) I <laughs> just have that mind of Derek Lee every single time. Uh, Derek Lee off the board. Coming back down around to Joel, Cap Anson, Ernie Banks, Hank Sauer off the board. We got a catcher, infielder, and outfielder still to go for you. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I got to meet Derek Lee at, uh, Rock, at Albert Pujols Golf Tournament in uh, St. Louis <laughs> back in the day. And uh, Derek Lee next to Pujols, Derek Lee was a machine. He, Big he was, dude. He was even bigger than Pujols. Uh, Mostly by height, and Pujols is just girth, but uh, he's a formidable man, and uh, he was very excited when I went back to the clubhouse at this golf tournament that had no beer uh, to get a case of beer for uh, our foursome and the one behind us. Anyway, back to the draft. Speaking of beer, you got to have guys on the team you want to hang with. There you go. Now we're talking. On my team of guys I've had a beer with – I put them into sections. Uh, my favorite guy to ever have a drink with, one of the greatest hitters of the 90, 90s, Mark Race. Oh, oh uh, man. Because you need a first baseman. I was, I was so close. It was between Derek Lee and Mark Grace. 
Oh, um, and man, the the biggest threat to all Chicago disgruntled wives in the '90s is probably <laughs> Mark Grace, right? I mean, he's a great guy, and yeah. uh, he was announcing down in uh, Arizona, and he was surely going to be the guy to come be the Cubs announcer. And I, I think he got his 11th DUI or something, and it, it ruled him out at that point. He stayed in Arizona at that point. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's the greatest cat and just the funnest guy to be around. But uh, uh, hit the ball, left-hander, just found the gap on that right side all the time. And it was just – it wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of home run strength, even though he hit some, but uh, just placed it. Like he, he decided, well, that guy's playing too far over there. And uh, he just put the ball right there. Bat on the ball, contact hitter. Just one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I'm going to hit some stats and then we're going to hit Kyle. Yeah, I got 1995, 97 runs scored, 51 doubles, 92 RBIs, 16 home runs, 326 average. The only time he slugged over 500 in his career. Walked 65 times, struck out only 46 and 552 at-bats, and hit 375 at home that year. So if you got yourself a ticket, a dog, and an old style to the game, there's a chance that Mark Grace was going to at least get one or two hits in the gap. Um, yeah, one of the greats. Never wore the gloves, went barehanded, had the pine tar, had the Marlboro Reds in the dugout after the game. It was, it was the best. Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, Joel, do you have Cap Anson, too? I do. So hate to be a Bartman, but isn't Cap and Grace both first basemen? Cap played the third base. Oh, do yeah. you also play third? I got him down. At, I got him down as third base as well. Okay, yeah. great, good. Then I'm not. I'm not a partner. See him play back in the 1880s, but third base. Yeah, now you've got uh, now you've got the keg on the side of the field taken care of because Mark Grace is probably bringing that keg. Uh, <laughs> never, never a dude though, a stranger to a good time. And uh, I was, you know, it's one of the weird times where I was actually happy for an ex-Cub when he won the World Series with the Diamondbacks. It was just right. kind of one of those moments where it was like, oh, man, good for you, Gracie. Like, way to do it, dude. Hop in, Tim. And the absolute, like, the key to that inning, too. Like, him squeezing out that, that single. Um, like, they don't win if – well, they don't win if a lot of things don't happen. But that's probably one of the best World Series and, and easily one of the best Game 7s of all time. And he's an integral part of it. He's so clutch for so many years on Cubs teams that, you know, had nothing really to play for and consistent at a time when he had no protection in the lineup, um, clean at a time when Sosa and other guys were obviously going in a different direction. 17 is my favorite number. It is my favorite player. I'm crushed. <laughs> and, you, and, you were, and you were on deck too. <laughs> Looking at the other first basemen's available, and I'm like, well, there's no way statistically someone's going to pick Grace. I, I'll get him with the last pick. <laughs> but great pick, Joel. And, and Sandlot guy, like the guys, he never strikes out. Smart oh, yeah, not, not a chance in the world. And he's probably the only softball dude that would probably foul off about eight or nine pitches and, like, work in a bat. You know what I mean? Like, he's, <laughs> like, really grind out in a bat. And while you're uh, – we're going to get to your pick in one second, Tim. Yeah, my favorite part about Gracie, too, is, like, God, just the epitome of, like, a ball player. Like, dirty, had the black under the eyes, smooth. He kind of, like, glided. Like, he had – looked like he was always just kind of processing but sort of playing the game and fighting and competing at the same time. Like, what a joy to watch Mark Grace, who is now off the board. And we're going to Tim, Santo, Billy Williams, Hack Wilson on your team, man. You're up. You're on the clock. What are you going to do? I feel pretty good. I'm going to take one of the most, like, uh, anomaly statistical seasons in Cubs history. 
Um, it's probably the second best season ever by a Cubs catcher. I'm going 1993 Rick Wilkins. Yeah. About someone else that the Trib uh, did dirty. Uh, that guy deserved a huge <laughs> And unfortunately, you know, knees got hurt, but um, it was heartbreaking when he didn't he didn't get uh, longer in the major leagues at uh, at that level. He did all that in '93, 303 batting average, 376, 561, 937 OPS, which is nuts. 30 homers, 73 runs, 73 RBIs, 23 doubles in only 446 at bats. That is a great breakout year and and it just came crashing down after that but looking at the rest of the Cubs like catching lineup uh, he still has probably the best season out of a modern catcher Uh, yeah no it's it's right up there um and the funny thing you know yeah he spent that whole summer peppering Sheffield with with balls uh with line shot home runs and then I was reading that you know the Cubs did him dirty right wouldn't offer him any money wouldn't pay him not even like he wasn't even looking to break the bank back then but still like they wouldn't do it and then yeah what he was out of the league maybe three four years later yeah he but that was prime like i'm collecting baseball cards i'm i'm reading the the trib or the sometimes every day to look at the box score he i had fond memories of rick wilkins that was a great season not the most handsome gentleman but what do you expect from a catcher you know what i mean they can't all be Again, you got to balance the you balance the the Sandlot teams that uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Santo has too many drinks on your team. Wilk, Wilk, Rick Wilkins comes in and drags the guy's ass out of the bar, right, and kind of protects him at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back down, Kyle, you got two picks, buddy. You switched to Coca Cola. I'm worried you're taking some greenies now. Uh, no, the Sosa drank all my beers. What's going on with your Sosa? What are you What are you doing? What are you injecting into you right now? What's going on? <laughs> What I'm injecting into my team right now is some championship rings. Mm. Oh, Two boy. of them. I'm taking and, – and for Cubs, we all know there's not a lot of rings to go around. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell them both. I'm going to fill in my infield here with uh, two guys uh, that I loved watching in 2016, and they're just – Amazing. I'm going to say them right now that we can do them one, one at a time, but I'm going to take Bryant and Rizzo. Rizzo time. Wow. Double tap. Good yeah, for you, man. To, to play out in my sandlot. I mean, I got some, I got some guys out of the time machine, but I'm going to take some guys that are doing it right now. Well, for fear of the, the KB talk uh, lasting for 45 minutes, uh, let me just ask this question. 15 years from now, Rizzo's got a statue, right? Rizzo's getting a statue. I mean, he is, he is now the modern – he's the 21st century Cub, uh, in, in my opinion, personally. Anyone disagree with that? Well, I think he's Mr. Cub right now. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a great example. Uh, statue, definitely Italian restaurant. Um, he, he's another guy who's great to hang out with. I've, I've, I've sung karaoke at uh, Stanley's with him. And Amazing. He's not shy about that. What he is he saying? Yeah, what's his song of choice? <laughs> I think he joined me. I was singing Brandy. He got up oh, yeah. and sang. I've heard Joel's Brandy. Joel yeah. nails that song. <laughs> well, you sang that at the at the shrink uh, rap party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He brought down the house a bunch of bunch of nineteen year olds going. I don't know this song, but I like it. <laughs> you do what you yeah. do. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to hit on my fiance. 
Rizzo did? Kind of. Well, it, it was more, yeah, I, I know, I agree. I, I heard that and I dropped my knee right away. <laughs> I, she was doing a gig for Second City and, and Rizzo, you know, he's got a great sense of humor too. And uh, she's looking at me right now and I'm telling the story. But, um, but, you know, she's super funny and Rizzo came up to her and was just kind of talking to her and trying to like, you know, make conversation and prove how funny he was. And, and she was like, she's like, I'm not interested. And uh, <laughs> you took her off the board, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me you like slid and like put your arm around her and was be like, Hey babe, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there. This is before, oh, okay. before I even knew her. So I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Uh, you know, well, to get back to Kyle's other pick, there was a guy who uh, he married his high school girlfriend, right? Yes. Uh, you got to got to say something about a guy, maybe like a judgment, but uh, to go with your, your first girl before you make millions and millions of dollars. But uh, I, I respect that on another level, not the same level. Good, good guy, bad guy. Good guy says, that's great. But bad guy, like, wow. Yeah, I was gonna say, can you trust a guy that doesn't run the streets in his twenties? Uh, can you really trust that guy? I'm not. I'm not too positive about that. Even if he is a former MVP, I love. I love KB, man. Like when he came up, I called it Christmas. Uh, I watched every at bat. I do have some pushback with you, Tim. On you probably shouldn't be number seventeen. I think seventeen is a number that might should that should probably be put aside. Uh, for someone else that might have just been previously selected in the past pick or two. Uh, but, yeah, MVP, man, 333, 472, 748 slugging percentage in August, the year he won the uh, MVP with 10 home runs, seven doubles. Really, that was, like, right after we got Araldis, and that's right when we knew, holy shit, can this team actually do something? And one of our best players went out and had the best month of his season. And it all just kind of started snowballing. Hop in, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, just just both those guys. I mean, to live that World Series season and watching those guys, I mean, I'll never forget it. And they were both integral. I mean, like whatever whatever happens after this or before this or who did what on all these other teams, these are two guys that were a giant part of the biggest season I'll ever like witness. And ironically, the thing with KB is – I mean, for, for the diehard Cubs fans like us, I think we all recognize how huge he was in that World Series where he's not necessarily on the, the main clips or the highlights of, you know, the Zobras double or, or whatever it is. But, man, like that home run, what was it? That home run in game five, I think, to tie us at one when our offense was really struggling. We came back and ended up winning that game. He hit that big double in game six. He almost hit the ball out of the ballpark in game seven, which Amora tagged up on. A lot of people forgot that he was out in that game, but he was like two inches away from becoming an all-timer in Chicago sports history. I mean, KB's the man. Go ahead, Tim. Well, also the last – what I why I love these picks, the last out is KB to Rizzo. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know that was, that was a kind of an easy medium bouncer, but, man, I was watching at Golden Road Brewing with a bunch of people. And that's a whole separate story because I'm massively superstitious and I didn't move for three hours. Um, and other people were running me drinks because they were like, you haven't moved. And I was like, I haven't moved. But man, when he, when he, like him catching that, you couldn't have hit it to a more sure-handed guy and his throw was on the money and Rizzo was like, it, that played out perfectly. Like those yeah. guys making the last out, 
it saved a lot of heart attacks. Had a smile yeah. on his face as he was reaching back to throw it to Rizzo at first, which was by far one of the greatest, like, because we were all feeling the exact same thing. Joel, real quick, where were you for game seven? Uh, I went to three, four, and five in Chicago, and uh, I was doing shrink at that point. And I, my, I took my wife to game five, and I said, I'm going to go to Cleveland with Billy and see game six. And she said, oh, no, 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 you're coming home. And I'd been on the road for like a month. So I, I watched game seven on uh, my couch for about the first seven innings. And then I couldn't handle it anymore. I was literally on the carpet, on the floor in my bedroom for uh, the end of the game and the overtime. Well, and that was like, that was the funny uh, dilemma, right? Was So I bought a one-way ticket after the Giants series where I was like, I'm just going to buy a one-way ticket for the World Series. I blow 85 bucks, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So I ended up going and flying there. Staying for game seven, I was at Holiday Club on Irving Park in Sheridan, so I'm about seven blocks away from the stadium. But after game five, all my buddies, especially after game six, were like, hey, let's drive to Cleveland. And I had this dilemma of, like, I could either try and go there and be there or I could go and be in the city, like watch it in Chicago in the city that I love and watch game seven. And, I, you know, that was the choice that I made. I dragged my whole family down to the dive bar. I had, like – gotten drunk at and Jake cheese fries at for like 10 or 12 years, made them all come with me and watch the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was just something about it. Like, it's like, we can't miss this, right? Like we got to be as close as we can in proximity to this moment as you can. Um, I mean, going to Cleveland must've been amazing, but I think it was like a, just a two each their own. Um, and KB and Rizzo. Wow. I'm getting like, it's, dr it's drumming up the chills in me. Good job. Good picks, Kyle. Yeah, man, get used to it. You guys like that, uh, that final pet? That's what they're going to be doing to you out there on the sandlot. Just keep them away from Sosa, will you please? I mean, we just got to keep this thing. We got to keep this thing above board. Moving back to Tim. Tim, you got a pick now coming up. Uh, we got uh, two selections left. Yeah, I got my first baseman left and my last infielder left. Uh, infielder, there are a lot of great hidden Cubs seasons um, on the board left. Uh, but I got so many nice guys. I got so many like Mr. Cubs on my team, um, you know, high integrity. So I'm going to go with probably the Venn diagram of the best season and the biggest prick left on the board. 1929 Rogers Hornsby. Baby, baby. Good call. In the range. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm shocked that he's still on the board. He, 380, 459, 670, 229 hits, 156 runs, 149 RBIs. OPS 1.139. I mean, this is one of the craziest seasons of the twenties among many. Um, yeah. So and after that 1929, that was his last truly healthy season. And then a couple of years he was out of the league and, you know, as the Hornsby say, that's just the way it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was over. I feel great about that pick. I mean, I, yeah, I look, I and want a, and a former Cardinal too, like a dude that we kind of stole and like ended up having him on the team. Ah, sweet. Love it. Yeah. Good season. And we talk about all the, the great players on that 30 team. Uh, if Hornsby had stayed healthy, they would have been that much better. And, oh. Uh, maybe oh my God. Great point. That would have been unbelievably stacked, just out of control. Hornsby, definitely a Hoover man as well. <laughs> <Yes>. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta let that go man <laughs> all right i keep making this political with all my hoover references <laughs> it was a polarizing time we don't even know what that's like now <laughs> oh man moving on joel cap anson ernie banks mark grace hank sour off the board you got a catcher and an outfielder to go if i'm judging this correctly 
Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to start going with the heart again. Uh, I bought a beer at Wrigley for this guy one time. Uh, Andy Pafko off the 50 team. Uh, oh. A super sweet cub. Uh, was still hanging out at the ballpark. Well, in, I think he died at like 93 or something like that, age-wise. But uh, I met him. He was old then, but uh, still at the ballpark. And I, I just went up to him and I said, excuse me, you're Andy Pafko, aren't you? And, uh, well, yes, I am. And I said, well, I, I got this beer for you. And uh, we sat and chatted for a while, and I've got a Cubs hat with his signature on it. But uh, a, a hell of a player uh, in his day. He, he hit 36 homers and 50. He had a lot of seasons with 100 – 150 plus hits. He was a, he was just a singles guy most of the time, but uh, great player, great outfielder. Yeah. Um, four, four straight all-stars from 47 through 50. I'm looking at almost a thousand RBIs career in his season. Uh, super underrated uh, from Boyceville, Wisconsin. So Midwestern boy too, as well. It's always kind of nice to keep it on the team like that. And the bars are open in Boyceville. If you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they never closed. They never closed during this time, I'm sure. <laughs> so, Andy Pafko, nice one. I didn't even have that one on the board, and I, I love that pick personally. Coming back with two more here, one for me, and what am I going to do here at this point? Really, it's kind of getting down to the nuts and bolts here. Man, I'm looking at George Bell, Jacques Jones. Oh, man. Lance Johnson, Brant, uh, Augie Ojeda, so many choices here to go through. Uncle Phillips still in there. Uh, I got to be honest, I'm going to go to uh, me and Kyle's college days for my first pick. Um, I need my second outfielder. I'm going Moises Alou, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Moises Alou, again, another guy without the gloves. Uh, came to the Cubs, surprisingly, did not have a good season. And he was getting booed the way Milton Bradley was getting booed. That first season that he was with the Cubs, was able to turn around, be a part of that 2003 team. The year after that, in 2004, 39 home runs, 109 RBIs. Batted 390 in 2004 in the ninth inning of games with four home runs. I'm wondering if those four home runs in the ninth inning worked out. I'm guessing that they did. Hit 29 home runs in 80 home games, so another Cubs dude. But when you went to Wrigley, there was a good chance if you tried to sneak a fastball past him, he was depositing it into the seats. And what can I say? Pissed on his hands. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say that. but uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're in a time right now where we're talking about resourcefulness and ways to do things a little bit differently. And the man pissed on his hands. Hop in, Joel. And wasn't he uh, the man that got up close and personal with Bartman? Uh, in the Horrendous moment. He was, yeah, he was definitely the one in that moment that probably took it. I don't know if you want to say took it to a place. He sold one, but he is a big part of that, right? Like the demonstrative moment of him physically being that pissed off. Again, he would have caught that ball. So I understand his anger, but I think that that reaction is what really was the gaslighting moment. Go ahead, Joel. I was at that game and I was probably 30 seats closer to home plate than Bartman. And that ball was foul, and the wind blew it back to the edge, where it was all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, he could maybe get that. But at first you had no idea that that was possible. And uh, it was such a heartbreaking night. We ended up uh, my nephew's house, and I, I asked anybody if they saw this. But we were watching a newscast, and, like, Len O'Connor was an old guy, old news guy, but it was an old guy like that. And they showed the footage of Bartman – being brought down underneath Wrigley around the stairs to the camera 
and they cut to the old guy and he goes, well, where is Jack Ruby when you need him? Like talking about <laughs> killing Bartman at that point. But if anybody can ever find that footage, I would, I, just to verify that I, I did indeed see it. Because my nephew and I sat up drinking all night after that. And uh, we saw it. Uh, Tim, hop in. Uh, I, was, I was living at the corner of Addison and Racine in 03 when that happened. So uh, I was about, you know, whatever, a block away. And um, I still remember that. There was a guy that got on the air, uh, like one of the first interviews, and his eyes were all wild. Uh, and he's like, we got to find him. We got to kill him. <laughs> he said, <laughs> and, and he was in my IO class at the time. <laughs> Saw him a couple days later, and we were like, "Bartman hey. was." Oh no! <laughs> and we were like, oh, hey, "Inspiring Mike. killer, <laughs> Mike. How are you?" He's like, uh, "Not so good, man. Not so good." I've been mean, getting a lot of heat for saying that we should have killed, found Steve Bartman and killed him. To <laughs> <laughs> salute, also Grace was another guy. Didn't wear batting gloves, right? I don't think he pissed on his hands. Um, you don't know that. Yeah, you never know. I mean, Miller <laughs> Lights and Marlboro Reds later. About two weeks before that uh, that Marlins game, I was working at Uncle Julio's Hacienda as a as a waiter, one of the worst waiters in the history of Chicago. And uh, Moises Alou came in with uh, with a woman, and he was sitting out on the patio, ordered some margaritas, and I remember going and, and serving him, and the guy like handing me like a tip, you know, so he like hands me a tip in my hand, I I take the tip. And I, I go back, I put the money in my pocket and I go up to my manager and I was like, <laughs> trying to be cute. And I was like, hey, do you mind if I go uh, wash my hands? Moises Alou just handed me a tip. And the manager's like, no, just no, get back out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and my hands piss joke didn't land with my manager. <laughs> so the next shift I tried it again. <laughs> Also, he walked out of the he walked out of the restaurant with a full margarita. Just went straight to his car. <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, top, no top for that to go cup. Yeah, two thousand and three. Um, me and Kyle were living together. We were in Bucktown at the time, and what we did for Game Seven was, or for Game Six and Game Seven was, we kind of started at the apartment, and then we kind of made our way down. So in Game Six, things were looking really good. So around like the fourth or fifth inning. We made our way down there. We got down there around like the sixth inning and we start, we parked super far away and we start walking and all up and down leading up to Wrigley, people had their TVs in the front yard. So if you're walking to the ballpark, you can still actually watch the game. You just got to go yard to yard to yard. Yeah. And so if I remember correctly, Kyle, we were maybe about four blocks away because we were ready there. Like, let's win the pennant. Let's do this. And stuff started happening. Second yard, the Bartman thing happened. Third yeah. yard, everyone's like, what's going on? By the fifth, sixth, seventh, the guy eighth turned yard. Around, Get out of my yard! <laughs> yeah. And then next thing you know, Louis Castillo hits a single. Derek Lee hits a double. By the time we actually get to, like, ground zero Wrigley, the inning's busted, and we're screwed. You know what I mean? Like, it was literally, like, this, this house of horrors, like, trail that we were going on. Yeah. And – uh Man, uh, so yeah, Moises Alou off the board. Let's keep it rolling. I'm just going to go Javi Baez, guys, because this is softball rules. I need a guy that's going to cover some space. I need yeah. some utility. And 2018, man, 40 doubles, 34 home runs, 111 RBIs. Really a guy that we all thought was going to become this great star, had holes in his swing. Would he ever figure it out? And then progressively each year, he's gotten more and more awesome to the point now where he's one of our 
favorite players. El Mago, Javi Baez off the board for me. Um, moving back down to Joel. We're just going to breeze over Javi Baez that quick. Okay. I mean, I don't want to. I mean, number. let's talk about the number nines, man. I mean. He, he's a good one. He's a darn good one. Yeah. Uh, the morning Contreras got married. I was in St. Louis doing a Who's Line show. And uh, Greg Proops and I got in the elevator. And it was the evening after uh, Contreras got married at like noon in the city. And then they drove to St. Louis. And I got in the elevator and realized that it was uh, it was Rizzo, Baez, uh, what's his name that hurt his pants, hurt his back pulling up his pants, the reliever that was really good. Uh, oh, um, Rizzo, but there, well, Brandon, a, Brandon Morrow, did he hurt his Morrow. pants? Yeah, yeah. He was in the corner, but they're all hammered. And uh, and I uh, I pull out a camera. I go, can I get a picture for picture for Cub fan guys? And uh, Baez goes, hey, man, no, 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 no. We've, uh, he got married today. We, no, no, no. <laughs> the most honest moments, like, yeah, we would, but we don't know what we look like. That <laughs> it kind of was even more fun than the photo, I thought. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Javi Baez, I mean, one of the, uh, the last, I mean, the last remnants of the Jim Hendry era, right? Like, that was his, that was his prize jewel draft pick. And for me, like, you know, Javi Baez is, one, uh, I think he does very well with the ladies. I think the ladies find him to be uh, quite attractive, which is fun. And I also enjoy the longstanding tradition of a Chicago athlete doing the goatee. Um, I think that is a, that is a mainstay, uh, you know, whoever it may be. Like, there always has to be someone with a goatee rocking that Midwest style facial You look hair. up Joey 2004 through <laughs> 2010. He's got it, too. I know. I never let it go. I couldn't let it go. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Javi, I mean, Javi was one of those dudes that I guess could frustrate you early on in his career. But, I mean, I, I got more amazing memories than bad memories with Javi. I mean, I think the dude is uh, – I think we need to – of all the guys, he's the guy that we signed to the extension, right? Yeah. I mean, I know KB wants $200 million, but, Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. No, I was just scratching my eye. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Javi's, Javi's electric. I mean, he's one of those guys that, like, even if he has a down year, you still want him out there because he's, I don't know, he, I mean, he's a freak. He's a freak. Yeah. He he's can the, do it all. Yeah. That catch in the, yeah, the World Series, like, was it, can your arm even bend that way? Like, <laughs> well, and that and, like, his, his slides – like the way that he can yeah. slide, the way that he can tag people. I remember Joe Madden saying, just you wait, this is the greatest tagger I've ever seen. And you're like, okay, Joe, Minutia, I get it, nerdy. And then you watch him, and he is the greatest tagger of all time. And it, like, it looks like he makes it hurt, you know what I mean? Like he'll tag you and, and, and smack you and make you hurt a little bit too, which is kind of a fun little added little ingredient there. Uh, yeah, we're, we're coming back down. Joel, you were on the board, my friend. My last pick, i got to get a catcher and uh... – you know, on, on my team of guys I've had a beer with, uh, I've, I've had a beer with Randy Hunley. I've had a beer with David Ross. Uh, Jody Davis in 84 was pretty good. Paul Bacco in there? Or? No, no Bacco. I just, I don't know why he's played hard to get with me. Uh, <laughs> no Bacco. But I got to go, I got to go with the, uh, he didn't play for him a lot, but he had a, he had a good season or two. Michael Barrett. Uh, just because he beat up some of your Southside cousins one time, and then <laughs> Krasinski came home, 
I, I just – you've got to have a guy on your team in case there is a fight. And I'd, I'd like to have Michael Barrett behind my back. Uh, just a, a tough it. guy. And uh, he had some pretty good numbers there. He's not on your list. Well, no, poor, poor one out. I think the anniversary of Michael Barrett punching AJ straight in the kisser is uh, was just like a day or two ago. And then, of, of course, yeah, he got – yeah, that's right. And he got into it with uh, Zambrano. And honestly, man, 2004, Michael Barrett. Three triples, 32 doubles, 16 home runs, 65 RBIs, 287 average. I mean, those are types of seasons. I mean, we love Wilson Contreras now, but, I mean, that's just as good, if not better, as the season that Wilson's been able to put up. And then, strangely, out of baseball by 32. Um, not really sure what to say what happened there. Came over to us when he was 27 from Montreal, and then out of baseball by 32. Kind of a weird – kind of a weird thing. Hop in, Tim. I mean, also, he's the muscle to protect your keg, Joel. Right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really matter. Sugar on top offensively. That guy, that guy could strike out quick and go back to the keg. Yeah, you don't want to get in a fight with him and Cap Anston. On his team. I think Cap was like six feet tall. He was big for his day. Yeah. Bare knuckle. Yeah, bare knuckle. No teeth, no problem. Uh, coming on back to, to Tim. Tim, this is your final pick, man. Uh, you, got, you got yourself Rick Wilkins, Hack Wilson, Billy Williams, Rogers Hornsby, and Ron Santo. Uh, where are you going to go? I feel great about my team. First baseman, I mean, the, look, Mark Grace was my pick here. He, my all-time favorite baseball player. He's not there, but uh, there's a couple picks. I thought about – because, Kyle, you don't need a first baseman, do you? No, he's got Rizzo. No. Rizzo. Okay. So it's between Bill Buckner and Phil Cavaretta. Buck, I mean, Buckner had an incredible season. He had 201 hits, you know, 34 doubles. That's 306. Like, he was a great Cubs player, and his reputation has completely changed because of, like, what happened in the World Series. Um, but I think I got to go, I got to go Phil Cavaretta. He's the MVP in 45. He bets 355, which leads the league, 449, 500. OPS is huge. 94 runs, 97 RBIs. And, I mean, 10 triples, that's pretty crazy. Uh, that's, that's a weird MVP season, you know? But that's – I mean, obviously the, the World War II years are, are, are a little different, and there's some statistical anomalies in there. But to win MVP with 10 triples, only six homers, and the walk – Got ratio eighty one to thirty four. I mean, yeah, a road less traveled. I was deathly afraid you were going to go Fred the Crime Dog McGriff. Um, <laughs> 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 Thank no. God. Uh, <laughs> no, that would have been a that would been a fun team, but no. Yeah, he, he hit thirty home runs that one year, but man, that was just that was a trade that just was desperate and just never worked out, and like the helicopter. The helicopter finish on the swing. Uh, yeah. No, on, no on the crime dog. <laughs> you're a no on the crime dog. So Hall, <laughs> Hall of Fame crime dog. You're you're a solid. Uh, the Hall of the Hall of very good. Uh, I would probably. I mean, I put I put Gracie in front of McGriff. Um, and I know that McGriff's got bigger numbers and all this stuff on paper that looks a certain way. But but then Grace had like more hits in the '90s. It was a singular person, won Gold Gloves. You know what I mean? So I don't hold McGriff in that high of a standard. I would say. But Phil Cavaretto off the board. Kyle, you make, you got the last pick, buddy. Last pick in the draft. Yeah, I got my catcher, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, my my trend ending out here with with some guys with uh, 
that I got to see uh, kill some dudes. And, um, but I'm stuck between, you know, do I want the dad? Do I want the leader? Do I want Ross? But I, I, I feel like I, I got to kind of follow Joel's lead and get a guy that I think can get dirty when things get dirty and is also just got some great numbers. So I'm going Wilson, baby. I'm going Contreras. Yeah, Wilson Contreras. Honestly, a bit surprising. He lasted to the very last pick of the draft. Um, but, yeah, another guy. I mean, I, I was worried you were going to go Giovanni Soto there. I was worried you were going to go hefty, hefty. Uh, but you're going athlete there. Now you got you got a bunch of rings on your finger, buddy. Yeah, I do. You got a bunch of rings on your finger. So here's what we're going to do. We're Hopefully just gonna... they still want it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day. Uh, so real quick, I mean, just a couple of guys that, you know, on the, the hall of very good. You know, I wrote down Benito Santiago, Mickey Morandini, Jason Dubois, Brian LaHare, Matt Merton, a couple other dudes that didn't make it, Jody Davis, I had Nick Castellanos or Alfonso Soriano had a pretty decent season. And then I did, I did put on there, uh, Glenn Allen Hill, uh, 20 home runs in 1999 and probably about 45 at bats. Uh, that's not official, but I mean, real quick. I mean, I'm Glenn Allen Hill was just really tempting. I was really thinking about breaking the wheel on everything because when that dude came up, another guy that didn't wear gloves when he hit, I mean, that dude was just ready to put a hurting on it. I mean, that dude was like, I mean, was Glenn Allen Hill not like a movie character? Like, do you guys remember like how amazing that dude was? Yeah, he looked like Mike Tyson with a bat in his hand. And he hit the building across from Wrigley. There's only a few guys that hit the building across from Wrigley. That, he's launched a few balls out of there. Yeah, and, uh, and honestly, like, in 99, you could say steroids era. You could say whatever you want. But honestly, I don't think he needed jack shit for the I – don't, I don't think he needed that. I think he was pure – I think he was pure Haas all the way. Jim Hickman didn't make the list. That was kind of an interesting guy that I didn't really know about previously, but then realized that he was really huge, like, as a center fielder, outfielder, with, with Ernie Banks kind of moving in and out between the outfield. He had a really himself a really good season. And uh, let's see if there's anyone else here. A guy that didn't make the list that I'm actually happy about, Aramis Ramirez. Did not make this list, but, you know, uh, Aramis. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry about it. So let's go through the rest of the rosters, and then we're going to say goodbye, you guys. I'll hop in, Joel, real quick. Uh, No love for Kai Kai Kyler, who is my father's favorite player, but he had, like, a million stolen bases. Uh, he wasn't big with the bat, but when he got on base, he, he took a couple more. And Bobby Denier, another guy I've partied with, uh, who's just a great human being and a really good golfer, but he had uh, 45 stolen bases in 84. Uh, he got a bunch of walks, not a, not a whole lot of knocks or anything like that, but once he got on, he had a ton of doubles. So it meant a lot of those stolen bases were second to third, for that matter. Uh, so, that is not easy. As a former catcher, if you steal third on me, I would just – I'd lose my fucking mind, honestly. Like, that's just the one thing you, you can't let happen. Second base is one thing because you got, like – you got you pick off, you got the pitcher, all this other stuff. But third base, if you steal it off me, it drives me nuts. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, a couple that I, I was surprised, just stat line-wise, which are so wild. Uh, Heine Zimmerman, 1912, part of that run, the great uh, run from the, the turn of the century. Woody English, 1930. Um, shortstop third baseman on that 1930 team. His, that 30 team, man. Holy cow. Billy Herman, 1935. That, uh, those, those are things I was like, man, I, I, I barely – that's names I heard once or twice at like a VFW and, and don't remember since. 
<laughs> so here you go, guys. We're going to just read off the last of the rosters real quick. Kyle, you've got on your team Ryan Sandberg, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Dave Kingman, Sosa, and Wilson Contreras. Tim, your final roster. We're looking at Ron Santo, Phil Cavaretto, Roger Hornsby, Billy Williams, Hack Wilson, and Rick Wilson. Rick Wilkins. Ooh, try and do that. Just do a little switcheroo at the party. Joel, Cap Anson, Ernie Banks, Mark Grace, Andy Pafko, Hank Sauer, and Michael Barrett. And for myself, Billy Madlock, Javi Baez, Derek Lee, Moises Alou, Andre Dawson, and Gabby Hartnett. Very fun, guys. Any final thoughts? This is great. Joel, hop in. Oh, yeah. Just, I'm surprised uh, nobody gave any love to Ben Zobrist uh, just because he was so darn clutch. Very close. Hit 357 in the World Series. A joy to watch. Switch hitter. Hop in, Tim. Uh, I, I thought the same thing about Dexter Fowler. He was such a clutch, clutch hitter. Uh, and, and again, you can pick so many guys from that 2016 team where you're like, well, if this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. And it, it was such a team effort. Yeah, another close one for me was Kenny Lofton in 2003. I know he only played that final stretch, but had like 68 hits in 56 games, was just on base constantly, like totally just changed the complexion of that whole roster and obviously led to a deep playoff run. Um, guys, this was it. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Kyle Moore, Tim Baltz, Joel Murray. These are all cast members of a show called Shrink, you guys. You can check it out on Hulu right now or also on the NBC streaming network, a criminally underrated show. Don't understand it. I'm not here to figure it out, but really awesome if you guys are looking for something to binge, and chances are people might be looking for something to binge right now. Um, you guys, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. This was Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. This was the Cubs Fantasy Draft Offense Edition. Thank you so much for checking it out. We'll be back next week. Safety and health to you all. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.